Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure that you knew that my online knee course with Lenny Macrina is on sale for $200 off this week. If you want to learn exactly how to evaluate and treat the knee, you're going to love our comprehensive course where we cover our clinical examination, exercise progressions, and specific information on ACL, meniscus, patellofemoral, articular cartilage, osteoarthritis, and so much more. Plus, you can earn a ton of CEU credit. The course is on sale this week for $200 off. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash knee for more information and to sign up today. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about how we identify and treat internal impingement of the shoulder. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free online course on the introduction to performance therapy and training. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I am joined by, by my crew at Champion PT and Performance, Mike Scaduto, Dewesh Podell, uh, Dan Pope, Dave Tilly, Lisa Russell. I'm, I'm even pointing off the screen. Lenny Macrina, we are here answering your questions. So keep them coming. If you have questions like that we're about to answer, head to micronaldcom and you can click on the podcast link and ask away. Anything you want to talk about is fair game. We're here to answer your questions because we're here to help you. So let us know what you want us to talk about. So for this week's episode, again, still no student to ask the questions, which I don't know. I kind of sometimes prefer. I don't know. It's weird how the student is taking his boards and it's taken him weeks a month. to complete the boards. Taking a like month. This is, no, this, is, this is week three of him taking the boards. <laughs> <laughs> I still feel like people, it's, uh, maybe we just get like a lot of like, like new listeners all the time, but they don't understand like, man, they really wear the same clothes a lot. <laughs> right. But uh, obviously we batch record these here because when we're answering questions, we're in a groove and we just want to, we want to, we just want to knock them out. So um, anyway, let's see, we actually have, we have a question from Boston. So uh, maybe next time, Billy, you can just swing by. Right. And we can, we can do this. Right. Remember we had these, these grand visions for our 200th episode, by the way, which was like last March, which was yeah. like the beginning of COVID, right? It wasn't it like the first week of April or something like that, that yeah. we were going to do it. We're going to do this epic, like in-person 200 person, like, like event of like live questions. And yeah, we got COVIDed. Is that, a, is that a phrase <laughs> yet? Are we using that yet? We hey, should. definitely should be. We got, we got COVIDed. But anyway, so Bill from Boston asks, what considerations <laughs> exercises and modalities would you use when addressing internal shoulder impingement in baseball athletes? And it's funny when I'm reading that question now, like that, that's a very, that's essentially saying, what, what do you do with internal impingement? You know, very generalized, non-specific. So that's actually a gigantic question, Bill. So let me, let me help guide this a little bit. Let's talk about breaking this down. Quickly, briefly, who wants to start? Maybe Leonard, would you like to start on saying what is internal impingement? We'll kind of we'll chunk out these answers a little bit to help Bill. But before we can figure out what you have to do to treat internal impingement, I think we have to understand what is internal impingement and is it different than shoulder impingement? So I don't know, Len, right. you want to knock that one out? 
Yeah. So, I mean, internal impingement is also known as posterior impingement. So it's impingement of the rotator cuff in the back of the shoulder versus the top of the shoulder. So it's not subacromial is impingement. Is that true? Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever called it posterior impingement. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so, I, I trust you. I, agree, I agree, believe yeah. you. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> so if you think of it that way, it's, uh, you know, it's the infraspinatus gets pinched on the back of the shoulder at the glenoid. Um, and then you got to figure out why. So it's, it's wearing, it's, it's an overuse injury to the back of the shoulder. And now it's, all right, now we just, we figured that out, hopefully, um, with our exam or an MRI. And now we get to figure out why this is happening. And that's where it gets really interesting. Is it a mobility thing where they have too much laxity? Is it an overuse thing? Um, is it a mechanical thing? So many different reasons why, but you got to make sure it's not a posterior labral tear or some kind of uh, cyst. Uh, maybe even a superior uh, rotator cuff injury, like a supraspinatus or subacromial impingement thing. So you, there's, you know, differential diagnosis. You got to figure out, like, you know, is it truly posterior impingement? And then, how, you know, what, why is it, what's the cause? So I think that's, that's number one, right? Is we, we need to figure out, look, shoulder pain. There's lots of reasons why you can have shoulder pain in your baseball player. <clears throat> Internal impingement is quite specific, right? It's one thing, right? So you do have to, you know, rule out these other things. You could have like rotator cuff inflammation that you could argue is just classic impingement and not internal impingement. But so Len said, talked about how it's, it's posterior, right? I would add that it's also internal. And that's the whole point of why it's called internal impingement, right? Is if you think about the rotator cuff, right? It's classic impingement with, with a rotator cuff pathologies that is technically external, which means it's on the outside or the top layer of the rotator cuff. It's extra articular. Internal impingement <laughs> is intra articular. So it's on the undersurface of the rotator cuff now. So not on the top where like you could, you know, we've, we've theorized with biomechanical like uh, frameworks in the past of, of uh, a bony impingement from the acromium or bursitis type thing, internal impingement is from the undersurface of it. Right. So right there, it's completely different. And Lenny mentioned an MRI, you'll be able to pick that up on an MRI, but it's internal impingement. Right. So what, why don't we talk a little bit about like, how would you get internal impingement versus external or, or posterior and superior, those types of things like, like that way. But Mike, in your experience, maybe with, with baseball players, where, where do they tend to hurt? What, what motion tends to bug them? I think just in general, baseball players tend to be a little bit lax in the anterior, inferior, anterior portion of the capsule from repetitive end range, external rotation. So when they go into external rotation, that humeral head is going to slide uh, anteriorly on the glenoid. Uh, if they're a little bit lax in the front part of the capsule, maybe there's a little bit too much anterior translation of the of the humeral head, and those posterior tendons are attached to the to the humerus. So as that uh, humeral head slides forward, those tendons kind of get dragged along with it, and then they can impinge on the posterior surface of the glenoid. So typically, they uh, a typical presentation would be posterior pain at end range external rotation. Um, oftentimes alleviated by a posterior glide on the humeral head, which would relieve the compression on the posterior rotator cuff tendons. 
That's crazy. And it's when you think of it that way, it kind of all makes sense. But you bring them back into max external rotation and they hurt posterior, right? Posterior, superior, like Lenny said, right? And that's very specific. You don't see that in a lot of other things, right? If you have anterior apprehension or instability, right, you tend to hurt in the front, right? When you when you do that. So you're going to go into external rotation, you're going to hurt in the back, like almost the opposite of what we typically see. So that's a big characteristic of internal impingement. But then as Mike said, you're then going to translate that humeral head kind of posterior, right? And that's called an internal impingement sign, right? Keith Meister is the first one that kind of published that like over 20 years ago now in AJSM that kind of talked about that mechanism of that. So, all right, that's important that we talked about that, right? Because Bill asked what, you know, exercises, modalities and stuff like what, what would we do on that? Right. You have to understand that the, that the location of impingement is different. This isn't a normal impingement. So it's posterior, super, usually like your infraspinatus type muscle, a little bit of supraspinatus posteriorly, but infraspinatus that's different. So in terms of like modalities, like you said, Bill, I mean, if you wanted to work some modalities, you just want to make sure you're directing them posteriorly. Right. But I, I think why don't we take a, a step back here <clears throat> and Mike mentioned this, but there's often some laxity that we see, right? <clears throat> and sorry, I can't speak this morning. I apologize. I feel like I was losing my voice the other day, by the way. Why do you lose oh, your voice? I don't, don't want to like, definitely is that an allergy? I don't, <laughs> and I can't taste or smell anything. No, I'm just kidding. That is like the worst, <laughs> the worst joke of 20, Too soon. Too 20 soon. and 21. But uh, anyway, um, so, so Bill, I think the number one thing is you're a smart person, right? You've been working with people for some time right now. You have to understand what it is before you can accurately come up with an exercise program. So, all right, who wants to jump in on a treatment plan now? We know that there's probably some underlying anterior kind of laxity that may be happening with this, right? Anyone want to jump in with, with what we would do for treatment? Who wants to try that? I mean, we all treat baseball players at, at champion because there's so yeah. many of them, but who wants I, to start? I would I would say personally, I'd want to figure out why. So you can your treatment's going to be obviously a ton of cuff strengthening, right? You're going to restore their motion. You got to get a baseline motion on them too, but you get to figure out why they are presenting this way. Did they have a big spike in uh, innings or, or pitches thrown? Did the season just begin? Um, you got to figure out like the why first, and, and you got to also look at their range of motion, the passive range of motion, compare it bilaterally. So you get a total range of motion bilateral and then also look at their strength. That's what we do a ton at champion is use a handheld dynamometer, get a baseline of cuff strength and, and deltoid strength to figure out uh, if they're truly weaker on the throwing side than their non-throwing side. It's usually a pretty good sign that that's an overload issue with the shoulder and they were doing too much and the shoulder couldn't handle it. And then they, you know, had a, a breakdown issue, but if they're super laxed, which we oftentimes see, and you do that posterior um, glide that Mike talked about, and they have relief of their pain and they, they have laxity. So they, now it's education of being super strong to handle all that laxity. Because oftentimes these people have a ton of layback or retroversion in their shoulder. So they're probably going to have 130, 140 degrees of external rotation. Now you're going to be super strong to handle that load when you are throwing the baseball. So it's, why is it happening? So is it an overload issue? Figure out their baseline of what they're presenting at now of range of motion and at least strength, and then develop a cuff program, which is going to be your throw is 10 type exercises and, 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 and that nature. So Notice, I, did, one thing I didn't talk about, I did not talk about GERD at all. I just did talk about GERD. Damn it. 
Oh, I, I think that's good. The question wasn't really about GERD, so I think that's, you know, well, I mean, like, you, a, a doctor is going to bring GERD into this. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, is, classic, that is a solid question. GERD and scapula dyskinesia <laughs> causing this. So that, that, that is solid. <laughs> they, um, I, I, I mean, I, I think the part that Lenny said that I really liked here too is that, you know, he, he talked at the beginning about like your workloads and maybe the workloads went up. Um, I think you could argue that just like anything else. <clears throat> internal impingement probably happens every time you get into external rotation. Internal impingement in and of itself isn't the abnormality. It's did it get excessive or did you do excessive volume with it, right? So that's the other first thing we start to do, Bill, once you identify what it is, is we got to figure out like kind of how we tip the scale a little bit. I think we would do that. So we got laxity. We have all these things. Uh, what else? I mean, treatment wise, Dan, you want to jump in a little bit? Yeah, I imagine a lot of these questions are like for baseball players, right? Overhead athletes. Um, I work with a lot of Olympic weightlifters, and I have read some interesting research that just in pure plane flexion, you'll get some internal impingement on supra and infra. And a lot of these cuff tears are going to be on the inside of the joint, right? Not on the outside, not right underneath the acromion. So one of the thought processes is that we're getting internal impingement, which is one of the things that could be causing cuff tears and not just subacromial. And this is for overhead individuals in general, right? So um, sorry for that little tangent, but I think that I'm probably seeing that with Olympic weightlifters too, because they're end range flexion and range abduction. They've got a lot of motion going at the shoulder. And oftentimes this ends up being a regional interdependence issue, right? So basically if I can't stay upright when I squat for a snatch or an overhead squat, I will have to lean forward to accomplish the lift and I drive way more range of motion at the shoulder. And I'm definitely not a baseball expert, but if we can mobilize the joints to make sure we're moving appropriately from let's say the thoracic spine, the scapula, that's probably going to help with throwing. And that definitely occurs with overhead athletes too. If we can get good thoracic spine extension, good motion at the shoulder, uh, excuse me, shoulder blade, good posterior tipping, we're probably alleviating some of that compression. And again, like Lenny said, you have to figure out the why. Is it purely a technique issue? Maybe not. It might just be too many reps. But if I can optimize someone's technique, maybe they can handle more volume over the course of time. So that's a big one that I think about. I like that. And that makes sense too, right? Because like, you know, obviously we, you know, you want to get thoracic mobility, scapular control, you know, so that way we put the arm in the right position. Maybe we're having some excessive translation at the glenohumeral joint because we have some mobility limitations elsewhere. So that, that's a, that's a great way of thinking it too. And, and Bill, I think that's like a big component that you need to make sure you're focusing on in these, these treatment programs. It's not just the shoulders that you're working on the scap, you're working on the thorax. Those are, those are pretty helpful. Um, I think I would just kind of wrap it up with just like kind of like a quick summary then of, of the key points here because I think we talked about this and Dan just highlighted another mechanism of internal impingement in a different type of athlete. You know, internal impingement essentially is going to happen anytime you have, uh, you know, excessive translation of the glenohumeral joint. So if you're not staying centered within the glenohumeral joint, like your, your humeral head within the glenoid, then your rotator cuff, either front, back, right? Because by the way, I think we see internal impingement of subscap quite a bit too, but not to get like, 
all off tangent here, like, like, like we, we started, but um, anytime you have excessive glenohumeral translation, then the internal surface on one end is going to impinge a little bit. And that's, that's just kind of like just the normal mechanisms of the anatomy and osteokinematics of the joint. So I think the big issue with this is we have some underlying static stability issues, right? Either the person is excessively loose, right? Or, or maybe they just have a really bad job dynamically stabilizing, right? So, and a lot of our athletes, like our baseball players, we have poor static stability and a very weak and uh, inefficient rotator cuff. So they don't have good dynamic stability, right? So you kind of put that together and you, you call a spade a spade what it is with internal impingement is you have to be having some sort of excessive glenohumeral translation or your internal rotator cuff wouldn't impinge, right? So you have to work on excessive strength of, of the rotator cuff. Like Lenny mentioned, some great dynamic stability that, you know, I know others have mentioned, but you really have to work on that. That is the key to this program. So Bill, like acutely shut down the inflammation, abstain from throwing obviously is great. But then once you get them going, it's all about strength, right? It's usually not about mobility because they, they, they probably have too much mobility. So it's more about strength, dynamic stability of the rotator cuff. Um, but really, I mean, I think, you know, all that bill, right? It's more about really making sure you understand internal impingement. Once you understand it, then I think most of us can all come up with a treatment program, but you really have to understand what's unique about that. And I think that's the real key for internal impingement. So great question, Bill. I appreciate it. Uh, if you have a question like that, please head to micron.com, click on that podcast link, and you can fill out the form to keep asking away. The more you keep asking questions, the more we'll keep answering them. <laughs> Is that going to be a catchphrase? <laughs> Man, that was good. <laughs> I like it. So anyway, appreciate it. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRinald.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.